This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery, like McKenna, brings a top-tier lineup. With Leaf Davis-esque delivery right to your door, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app. And you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only by app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. So I spoke to Mervyn Day, who was, who was a scout of Brighton. I had a lot of respect to Mervyn. I tried to bring him in at Notts County, couldn't bring him in. I said, Mervyn, tell me about Grealish. I want him. I think I can get him. He's at Villas in the youth team. He's a bit slight, but he's the kind of player that I like. He's, he's slight. He can dribble. You know what I mean? He's courageous. Mervyn went, Dude, give me two minutes. Let me go into my file. He said, Chris, take him. Yeah, so you moved to Arsenal January um, 95, just as I remember, a couple of days before we beat Liverpool 1-0 at Anfield, because I can remember being having some Liverpool fans chanting, where's your Kiwom, you're gone, to me on a, tra- on a train. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so George Graham signed you, but then a month later, he's gone, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, there'd be something that had gone on uh, at the club previously, which, you know, that George felt his, his job was going to be safe, you know, Results were up and down at the time, and it was a transition time for the club, but, you know. And then, you know, long and you know, George was gone. I really liked him as a manager. What a manager, you know, basically a, a disciplinarian, but really, you know, his detail to attention, you know, attention to detail, sorry, was so was so good in the team meetings before games. He would talk to you, the size of the fullback, where his movements were, how to, you know, Who's gonna who's gonna flag in the game? Why he's gonna flag? How are you gonna beat this? You knew the game plan. You, you know, you knew the game plan. You just had to go out and, and execute it. Uh, but then he was gone, and and then Bruce Riot came in. I won't lie, I didn't really see eye to eye with Bruce. You know, and uh, you know, and I think that year really that was a a really important year for me really because it was a year where I felt I should have been given opportunities and and it, and it just didn't happen. So that was disappointing. But then Arsene came in and he was just like a total breath of fresh air, you know. Although I didn't play with him, I was involved with the squads on, on, on a, you know, like a lot of the days and a lot of times I learned so much, especially with the players that he, he ended up bringing in. It was just an unbelievable, you go from being in switch to like, you know, three years later or two years later, you know, two and a half, three years later, you're seeing Vieira, Patrick Vieira come in, Dennis Bergkamp, Mark Overmars, Emmanuel Petit. You know, you're just seeing all these players coming, Nicholas and Elka. You know, it's just all these players and you're seeing the training, how they train, what they eat, how they live. Just change all influence again. And I remember speaking 
to players at, uh, at Manchester United and, and even at Chelsea. And they were saying that when Zola came in, what he brought to was Frank Lampard, Eric Cantona, what he brought to Manchester United. You know what I mean? Really, just really total, like, like the professionalism, how they trained, you know, what they did in training, how they tried to control games. You know, it's not elter skelter, you know, keep the ball, go all the way up there and come all the way back. Just open your mind a little bit. Um, so if I had my opportunity again, would I go to Arsenal? Absolutely. It's a special club, you know, really good club, you know, but I learned so much, obviously, being with the players and, and, and being under the managers there, you know, that I ended up being under. Mm. So when Ar Arsene Wenger came in, I remember there was a headline, wasn't there? Arsene who? Um, so what was it like in the dressing room? Because big figures in that dressing room, Tony Adams, Ian Wright, Paul Merson. Um, what are they saying in the dressing room about this this French fellow that they didn't know very much about? Well, Tony had, you know, Tony was quite close to uh, Mr. P uh, Peter Hillwood, who was the chairman, and, and David Dean at the time. And I remember Tony coming in and going, we're going, we're going from this French guy from who was over in Japan. It's like, what are you joking? He's like, yeah, seriously, you know, they're going to bring this. And I remember him coming in, and the first day he, he, he took training, did a fart leg, and then he, everybody had to grab a mat. We had all of these, and he started doing these stretches, you know, doing these stretches. So he was taking the whole, that's the thing with, with Arsenal, he was a bit of a control freak. Everything had to be done properly, but it was done, it, you know, everything was brilliant. You know, timings. He'd be out on the pitch setting up the mannequins and, and things. If you're trying to start at 10.30, he'd be out there at 9.30, organising everything. But it was, it was really good. You could see the professionalism in him and he changed the whole mentality. And the and the players, like, you know, the older players at the time, you know, these Steve Bowles, Lee Dixon, Nigel Winter Burns, they all got another two or three seasons out of the game more, you know, due to his regime. Mm -hmm. And then, then obviously, you didn't get to play. You, you, you may. No. What did to you? I mean, did, he, did he say that you you were going to get an opportunity at some point? Yeah, he, he did. Listen, we fell out a couple of times because he's saying, you know, your chance is going to come, got to be patient. And then those opportunities weren't coming. So, you know, in the end, I had the opportunity to go over to France. He, he said, look, you know, you've got an opportunity to go over to France. A different culture, you like it over there, and you know, I ended up going over to La Havre and really enjoyed it. Although I was injured quite a bit, wasn't used to the double sessions and and the trainings and all that. Lot. Really enjoyed the food, uh, enjoyed the culture, enjoyed the football, uh, and it was a learning. I always wanted to play abroad anyway, and 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 have a taste of what it'd be like, you know, to play abroad. And I, I, I really enjoyed that, you know, uh, playing with La Havre. La Havre is a team which. I realised at the time they had this little building where there was all these players and every morning, man, about eight o'clock, they'd be training. Then you see them at like half past 12, train. And then you see them at like six o'clock, train. So sometimes they were training three times a day and they had these schools where players were actually living in these little dormitories and then going to school and then training. And this is why they were, you know, in, in the 90s, they were technically so good, the French you could always see that they can handle the ball because they were, the touches of the ball they were getting at the time was unbelievable. Over the years, and even now, you know, Mares, who's at, who's at Manchester City, he came from the half. Paul Pogba came from came from the half. Uh, Dimitri Payet came from the half. You know, there were all these players that have been, and even previous players, like Talak, who went to Liverpool, I believe, you know, they came from the half, and that's what they are there. They were like the old West Ham. Uh, West Ham brought all through Carrick and all these players. They were similar in there but they used to 
Goscow, all the all the in Paris there's only one team, well there's two teams, there's Paris, Paris Saint Germain and Paris FC. But where do all the other players, you know, in on, on the suburbs of Paris, there's, there's millions of players. So where do they go? So that's what Lahav used to target. And they used to target all the players around the suburbs of Paris and try, you know, get them out of these, you know, get them out of these areas and bring them to La Havre, which is about an hour and a half away. And then put them in dormitories and make them they call it making them good citizens, help them to speak English and give them a way of life and, and an opportunity in football, which was back in the nineties was something really, really special that they really adapted and conquered really. Mm, interesting. And 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 I think Lahav wanted to sign you permanently. Um yeah. but then you moved to um Malaysia. Yeah, I didn't really listen, I, I love Lahav, it was it was in Normandy. You know, but it was like, you know, I was like 26, 27. I'm thinking, I don't, this is not what I see myself in my prime. And, you know, maybe if I was like at 30, you might want to try and go and do all that. And just I was, you know, at the time I was going to have my first boy, Jordan. So, you know, like I was like, nah, I don't want to do that. They wanted to sign and Arsenal were a little bit upset that I didn't want to do the deal because they, they, they'd agreed a fee and everything. But then I came back and an opportunity came. Tony Cotty had been playing over in Selangor. Uh, in in Malaysia, which is a big team, the Red Giants that were called over there, you know, we used to get average get of thirty odd thousand, uh, and then basically, you know, I didn't want to go. They offered, you know, two or three times, and then I went ended up going over there, having a really wonderful time, really good six months, and ended up scoring the winning goal in the final in front of like, I don't know seventy thousand fans, which is one of my if I have one of my three best memories, that would be one of them, you know, so. You know, these ventures came along in my life and it was like, hmm, don't know. And then when I get there, really embrace the culture and embrace the football and, and probably end up doing something which I would never have thought I would have done. Um, uh, but really enjoyed it because even, you know, even now, you know, my goal over there is played on the TV. I still speak to friends over there. My brother-in-law was over there like a few years ago and said he was watching the TV and, and the goal came on in a bar in Malaysia. What's the chances of that? So just all good memories. Mm, that sounds fantastic. And uh, so, did you think about staying there longer term? Once again, you know, you know, the Premier League at this time is getting better and better. And you know, I remember doing TV over there, you know, doing the Premier League and, and commentating, and just you know, planning to try to get back, you know, just get back to England as well. You do miss, you know, the football once you're away, you know, because obviously the level is not as good. And although, although you're a star in that country, you still want to get back there. So, no, at the end of the day. You know, I mentioned about about staying there, but I was just being, I was being, you know, being respectful because they paid a lot of money for me to go over there and looked after me really well. You know, put me on a house and a golf course and and things like that. So they did go out of their way, but you know, I wanted to come back. I wanted to come back to England. Mm. And QPR, with whom you scored pretty much every time you faced Ipswich. I think. <laughs> no, like, listen, yeah, there's a little one in there where. I think I came out to QPR and Ray Arthur, God bless him, was the manager at the time. And he, he was a good footballing manager. He'd been at Blackburn, been a Blackburn manager and he was good. But then he resigned. It was supposed to go to Vinnie Jones, but he was doing lock stock. So there was all these dynamics coming in. Uh, and then and then Jerry Francis came back in, uh, you know, who, who was a QPR legend. And he was a good good manager, good defensive manager, really based on, 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 on defence. Not great for attackers, <laughs> but great. You know, great and did really well with the team. Did really well in his, in you know, we managed to you know stay up on the last day of the season when I scored a hat trick against Crystal Palace. Another good memory, you know. Uh, and then we had a good season the next season. But just like a QPR, uh, sorry, just like Ipswich, towards the end, there was no money coming in. 
no money and then they got in debt administrators came in and everything just went bellied up there but i enjoy my time at, uh, at queen's park rangers very similar to which which very family-fied club you know over in west london with good people who used to run the club you know uh and like you say i scored a couple of times against against this which but that was all because i used to have a bet with richard right he used to say i wouldn't score and then so he owes me a couple of 50 quids you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> so you, you um you had a short spell in denmark didn't you um yeah and, was, yeah. and the leg injury ends your career doesn't it yeah yeah it was at all i went to all which was when i you know i went to speak to billy davis up but he was up mother well up in scotland but I just fancied, you know, coming towards the end of my career, I fancied something like, again, you know, to go abroad. And I ended up saying, uh, you know, OK, why not? And it was it was really enjoyable at the time. But I, I, I had a leg injury when I was over there and it, and it was just plaguing me and plaguing me. And I wasn't I wasn't fully fit for the whole, you know, for the first six or seven weeks, I wasn't fully fit. And then I remember 9-11 came in and then just travelling became just, just disastrous, you know, something that was supposed to take, you know, two, three hours end up taking seven and eight hours, you know what I mean? So it, it was just, I was there from the family at the time. So, and and my leg wasn't great. So I just thought at, at the end of the day, I, I just call it a day. You know, I look back through the period and, and all the managers and all the all the teams that you did, you've got great memories, but um, that's the hardest thing when you come towards the end. You know, how do you let go? And do you let go on your terms? You know what I mean? It, it, it's like, you know, you still believe you can go on, especially when you haven't, haven't had many injuries. But, you know, the body, you know, some part of your body be saying, no, it's finito. And you just got to try and, you know, listen to your head and go, OK, yeah, it's, it's the right time. Mm. So you've been, what, 33, something like that about then? Yeah, yeah a little bit less than that, 32, yeah, 32, 31. So you're then thinking, what should I do next? Um, yeah, <laughs> like every footballer does. Mm, mm. And had you had thoughts of, of coaching? No, not really. I'd always... John would, John Lai would always say to me all this information because he used to, he, I used to watch videos with John. We used to talk about football. I remember him saying to me, "Oh my dear, I've, I've watched this player at Milan. He's 17 years old. His feet are like that. Left back. His name's Maldini. He said he's unbelievable. He does this. He does that." And we would talk constantly, talk football, constantly talk football. You know, he he could just see, he could do. If you finished, if I finished one, if I got across the near post and and finish one, open up my blind. Just he said, Could you take it early with your outside of your right foot? So he would just improvise another story. He, I remember getting Richard Wright, I think it was Richard Wright, was a young goalkeeper coming for his switch. And he goes, You keep on um, getting 1v1s with the goalkeeper. I always remember goalkeepers come out and slide at your feet. So he said, For the next 20, 30 balls, I want you to just dink it over the goalkeeper. Just dink it, just dink it. And he kept me rolling me through, dinked it, dinked it. So I scored one against Sheffield Wednesday, they got at Sheffield Wednesday's a dink over the goalkeeper. Down to John, scored one against Wigan in the cup. Down to John Lyle, scored my first goal for Arsenal against Nottingham Forest. Dink over the goalkeeper. Down to John Lyle, and that's what I kind of learnt from. You know, that's why he was he was such a great coach because he could put you in situations and and, and give talk from his experience, his fifty years or whatever, how many hundred years he had in football. <laughs> but the sign of any player is how much you can take on board, and and you know. If I'm telling the same thing four months later, it's, it's not working. So when John would give me something, I'd go, John, boom, got it. Now it's gone to page two. Got it. Let's go page three. And he could always challenge. They used to, you, you know, you talked about uh, Bobby Ferguson being a hard, hard taskmaster. He was. Charlie Woods was similar. 
you know, Charlie and, 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 but they would come in and Charlie would come in after the game and say to me, I don't see you get across defenders and head it at that near post. I'm telling you, I don't see you do it. I don't see you do it. I don't see you do it at the far post. I don't see you do it at the near post. That was a challenge. So we played against Hull, the ball comes across. Malcolm Shotham was one of the biggest, strongest centre-halves. I get across him and boom, in the whole free-free. Should have that on video there, Rich, somewhere. <laughs> I get across, boom, near post. What do I do? Monday morning, Charlie, what's going on? <laughs> I thought you said I didn't do it. There you go. <laughs> one of the best stories I can tell you, and I'm getting into my storytelling, is I remember being in the changing room talking to the players, and I had lots of tools at which Never had the free, never had the hat tricks enough. And I remember John saying to me, look, you're talking a good game, Lionel. You're talking a good game. You need to you need to go out there and prove that you can do it. You'd always get into the wall, but never going through the wall. I was like, okay. So he then, and he kind of had a little pop of me again in front of the players. And that's how it was. He, he was challenging me. So we played against Wigan in the cup. What happens? I get the hat trick. Now, he's, I think Ron Atkinson was at the game. He's in the office with him. And as he's talking, I knock on the door after the game. I open up the door. I just bounce the ball. I let him go in and I shut the door and I walk off. <laughs> and, the, and the ball bounces up to his desk and he goes, he's done me. <laughs> so, you know, those were the challenges that I, they were always constantly kind of, you know, putting them in. And, I, you know, people respond differently, eh? You know, you can't shout at some players. You know what I mean? Because, they, you, you know, you're going to lose them. Mm. Other players, you need to, you need to dig out. In front of you know, in front of everybody, you know, because you might be a leader and you're not leading. So John would never really dig me out in front of everybody, but in the one v ones, he'd let me have it. He'd let me have it, and I'd, I'd sit there going, "Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Yeah." And then I go, "Right, I've got to go. I've got to get back on the horse and go again." But really good, you know, really good, you know, really good mentors and really good, you know, really good people. And it's sad that we lose him in the game. He was so good that. When I used to go to his house sometimes, he, he used to say, I've just got off the phone to Fergie. And I used to go, yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah, Fergie. Yeah, whatever. And then when he passed away, God, you know, Fergie came down and did his eulogy. Mm. It was unbelievable. And then in his book, I think it's in his book, Leading, he said, when he first came down to uh, Manchester United and he was struggling, he phoned one person, John Lyle, asking him for advice. That's how much, you know, Fergie thought of him, you know. Because he knew, you know, you know, John was an experienced manager who, who knew the game. So all the things that, you know, these guys and these are the coaches of old day, eh? the old school coaches that were really great. Mm, mm. So you go into your own coaching uh, days at, at Arsenal with Arsenal under fourteens. Obviously, John Lyle, one of the sort of figures that uh, who you presumably tried to emulate. Um, so how did how did you end up at Arsenal? Yeah, I wouldn't say emulate, John. You know, he just used to say to me, "Look, I've given you so much coaching advice, and you got so much better." What are you going to give back? Are you going to give anything back? And I used to go, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go back to Bradford. I'm going to give back to all, all my people back up north and, and, and enjoy life. And he was like, you've got to give back to the game. You know, you've taken so much out. You've learned so much. You've grown. You, you, you know, you, your personality has grown. Your knowledge has grown. Uh, so I was down at Arsenal watching one of the games and I was doing my badges at the time. Uh, I, was over at, I was over at Watford helping out with the under-16s with Mark Warburton. Was a good, you know, really good coach then at the time. Was Mark and and then asked, um, I was asked on watching a, one of the games and, and Liam Brady was the academy manager. I asked, they said, "What are you doing?" I said, "I'm doing my badges." Liam says, well, "Well, well, why don't you come, you know, come down, come be part of the family again?" So I, I went back to uh, Arsenal and started helping with the 14s. 
I think at the time in the 16, they had Jack Wilshire and you know all these young players, Chuck Saniki, all the good you know good young players that were beginning to come through. You know what I mean? Come through the ranks there. So I ended up ended up coaching them, uh, and from then Jimmy Jilton, mm. who, who was doing our badges, and Jim asked me to come to the Witswich, which is really you know listen asking me to come back to it, which was like a dream. You know, I really enjoyed working for Jim as well. Passionate guy, another guy that really wasn't given the time at his switch, you know. They didn't have a lot of money, did they? And he was beginning to just bleed and, and get into a style. But that transitional period came with Marcus. Uh, and then it, it just didn't work out. Mm. What about Roy? Because obviously Roy came in after Jim. How did you get... One of the few people to uh, stay on, weren't you, under, under I, Roy? Yeah, I like Roy. Really good manager and really built a good team. Big personality, you know, and, and, and obviously Roy would look back and maybe one or two things that he did wrong, but... I don't think the chief, you know, the chief executive wasn't wasn't great with him, lost him players, but I, I always know that he created a really good team. We had Van Ledbetter and you know Damon Delaney, all these players. If you look at that team, there was just the, the striker situation where one we drew, we drew too many games, but two we just couldn't, you know, we couldn't finish teams off. We didn't have that striker, and when he brought in Priskin, the, the him and the uh, you know the dynamics weren't right with with himself and Priskin, but I thought he created a good team. I'm surprised he hasn't gone back in as a manager, but I think he's loving the punditry at, at the moment. But I think he's one of those guys, really, that, you know, he would have learned. He worked under Martin O'Neill for a little while. But you've got to remember who, when people talk about Roy Keane, who were his, his two managers? Mm-hmm. Cluffy. Mm-hmm. And, and Fergie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two of the best. Two of the best. So those guys have got high standards. And although Roy's, you know, he's, he's got his own high standards as well because he's, he's a winner. I think he would have learned a lot and it'd be interesting to see if he gets back into one more shot because I'm sure he'd do he'd do well. He'd do well. But I enjoyed I enjoyed working for him. His, his professionalism was unbelievable. You know, meetings at eight o'clock, you know, so organising everything. But I think sometimes as well it's hard, you know, I've been around big personalities in changing rooms, you know. You know, a lot of the guys at this which hadn't been around a big, you know, were around Roy, so they were, like they were nervous. There was only one or two that weren't really nervous, people like John Walters, you know, wasn't really you know, it wasn't really that bothered, you know. Uh, uh. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like home comforts. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home advantage with Mook Delivery. You win. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Blue Monday are delighted to be partnered with TalkSport Fan Network and NordVPN, giving you the best possible offering for browsing the internet securely. NordVPN opens up global streaming options for content not available in your region by switching your virtual location quicker than Wesburn's running down the wing. NordVPN acts like your cyber Sam Morsey whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like passwords and credit card details from falling into the wrong hands. For about the price of an ITFC match program a month or a Blue Monday Telegram subscription, you can get yourself a NordVPN account which can be used across six different devices. If you need to rapidly change direction like Amari Hutchinson, there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Blue Monday or click the link in the podcast or YouTube subscription to be taken straight there, supporting us here at Blue Monday in the process. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, 
When it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. So you left under... Um, did you do much with Marcus Evans while... It, while, while it... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Marcus used to come into the club and I thought he was really, you know, listen, his heart was in the right place. His heart was in the right place. He wanted to do well for it, switch and, you know, he invested money, you know, but it, it didn't go great. You know, he brought him... Mick, Mick did a good job. I was surprised in the end, you know, but... You know, because Mick left and it was like, you know, you know, there's a fraction of the fans that got against him. But I think in football, you know, every manager has a lifespan at a club, you know, be it four years, five, six years, you know. And then all of a sudden, you know, you need to either change the whole players or you have to go really, you know what I mean? You've got to change the dynamics. But Marcus was, Marcus was good. He had his, his, eye was, his eye was in the right place. I, oh, on, the only two things that ever bothered me, and this is just my personal opinion, is one, who was advising him? He never had any, you know... You know Terry Butcher, somebody sitting on the board, who, you know, who knew the, you know, dynamics of the football club, you know, and 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 that. And secondly, the chief executives that he was bringing in was just didn't know the DNA of the club. You know, they put on a scarf, they sit in the director's box, and that, you know what I mean. And it began to be like business-wise. You know, mm. I remember people that have worked in the centre spot for 30, 30 years were being just being let go, not even a bunch of flowers. You know, I mean, worked at the club for 30, 40 years. I remember one of them saying to me, Chris, I was down here when, you know, when you was here in 86. And I just got called in saying, oh, you know, they let me go. Not even a bunch of flowers and a box of chocolates for them. And mm. I just thought, you know, that, that, and that's, and that's what I'm saying. You know, the club, when I joined it in 86, they would go down to, you know, Sir Pat's house in pre-season and the whole club would come together. And, you know what I mean? It'd it be the whole, your partners and, you know, the washerwoman will be there, you know, Chrissy and, and, and all the old lot. In the end, I, I think when Marcus came in, he stopped the whole lot of it and just made it corporate. You know, I had a corporate, so nothing for the family, for the club again, you know what I mean? Just just those little things. Now, I know it's a business, football's a business, but you can't go away from that family element because that's what makes the club. That's what mm. makes the club. Mm. So, yeah, yeah. So, no, I quite like Marcus. Uh, I, I worried about who was getting, you know, who was giving him advice on, on managers, who was giving him advice on season ticket sales. I remember one time I put season ticket sales up for OAPs. You know, it's crazy. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, what are you doing? You know, what's you, you know, what's you thinking about it? You know what I mean? This is not like a club in the city. This is it switch. You know what I mean? They, you know, they're a family fight club. Look after the supporters. I think the people that have got in there now are trying to do the right thing, aren't they? You know, the chat put the chat put the DNA back back into history so hopefully that can keep that going mm. rich to kind of uh bring us up to date yeah well, so from coaching it at ipswich on to initially coaching at notts county under keith Carroll, and then the the main gig chris talk to us about that transition and you know how how challenging that might have been yeah i left it switch you know obviously paul jewel came in and you know and the dynamics wasn't right so they wanted to go down a different direction which was no problem so I ended up coming out of the game and then Keith Gill got the uh, opportunity at Notts County and wanted to bring me in as, as the under-23 coach. They didn't have a team. They wanted to develop a team and, and put a team together and, and you know, and saw me as a way of moving forward doing that. 
So I, I was quite happy to do that. I moved up to Nottingham, lovely city, uh, and ended up doing that. Keith, Keith did really well. You know, did really well in his first year. I think we finished when it was 12. Uh, but, you know, started putting some plays together and, you know, they were doing really well. But then they had a few bad results and they sat Keith and then asked me to uh, take over as caretaker manager. <laughs> the first game was against Stevenage. We've been, I mean, I come out of the tunnel and we've been, what, I don't know, 40 seconds. I sat down, we're 1 0 down. <laughs> so it's like, welcome to the, uh, welcome to League One. We, we actually managed to play really well in the game. We, you know, we dominated the game but couldn't score, which was always, you know, always a sign of a team, really, you know, which just goes to show you, you, you need to keep them at one end but score at the other end. Uh, but then after that, we went on a run about eight, nine games unbeaten and went and, you know, really won against um, Crew and beat some other teams, really. Tranmere did really well. So we ended up, they offered me the job, you know, on a three-year deal, which I took. So, you know, that was good. But, you know, I finished, I helped the team. We finished 12th that season. There was a lot of players out of contract. I need to change players, bring players in. And they cut the, they cut the budget by a third. So they said, look, we want to go down the, you know, down the youth uh, product way. We want to try bringing good young players and, you know, want you to develop players, go out and, and, and mould the club how you want it to, how you see it, which is exactly what I wanted. I said, listen, if you want to do it that way, I'm your man, but if you want to, you know, go down a different route, I won't want to do it. No, no, we're well behind you. We know it's going to be difficult because we're cutting the budget by a third. And I was like, okay, then no problem. So I, I, I did the deal and, you know, signed a contract. And my first thought was, right, I need to get, you know, I need to get some good youngsters in, you know, some good, the level, the youngsters that we had there at the time and we were just building weren't good enough to go into play first team football. So I started speaking to players and I think any coach will tell you in the game or any manager will tell you in the game, you know, your contacts who you can speak to people about is really important. I'd seen a young guy at Aston Villa when I was at Ipswich doing the 23s. I'd seen him and, and I'd known about him and he wasn't far from. So that's another thing because we're living in Nottingham in the middle of the country. So it's really good for, you know, getting teams in, in the right areas, you know, around the Midlands and even in the north of Manchester. Uh, even in the, in, in the northeast and northwest, so I had, there was a guy called Jack Grealish that I'd seen a few times. So I spoke to Mervyn Day, who was, who was a scout of Brighton. I had a lot of respect to Mervyn. I tried to bring him in at Notts County, couldn't bring him in. I said, Mervyn, tell me about Grealish. I want him. I think I can get him. He's at Villa's in the youth team. He's a bit slight, but he's the kind of player that I like. He's, he's slight. He can dribble. You know what I mean? He's courageous. Mervyn went, Dude, give me two minutes. Let me go into my file. He said, Chris, take him take him. I ended up getting Jack Grealish for £900. He was Aston Villa in the youth team. He came in, he came, I, get him, I got him in on loan. Came in and obviously played his first game against MK Dons. He came on. Second game against Cham, he was unbelievable. Body swerve, taking the ball, receiving the ball. And you could just see he was going to be, he was going to be something. And his, you know, his shin pads was the same as they are now. Just rolled down, you know, rolled down. And, and uh, But I remember in the when I signed him and the chief executive at the time, not scouting, he didn't want to take him. What's he going to do? What's this kid going to do for us? I went, listen, he's better than what we got. And I think he can, you know, move him forward. I think he's going to be a good player, but I think he's going to excite the fans what we got. Oh, and it wasn't, it was only Ray Chu who was the thing who sat in with me in the room on the, on the Wednesday night saying, what do you want? I said, I need this player. I want this player. He said, I said, 900 quid. I said, he's on more there, but you know, he says, do you want it? He went, yeah, get it done. So Grealish came in. I actually brought in Callum McGregor as well. Mm. Uh, 
a month earlier, you know, from Celtic, speaking to Neil Lennon. Again, he hadn't played a first-team game. Uh, he came in, he was a revelation. I think he had 12 goals by Christmas. Uh, the Calamago. So I was building a team here. And I was telling you there, I was on with Greeley. So I get him in the office. I said, look, listen, you know, I'm bringing you in. I think you can do this. I want you to dribble in these areas. And, you know, I'm trying to build a stomach. Yeah, all right. All right. All right. All right. Just get a nod in. And then, uh, so you got any questions? He went, no, no, I'm all right, Gaffer. You know what I mean? What time are we training? And as he walks out, he turns around. He says, uh, who are we playing on Saturday, by the way, Gaffer? He's like, <laughs> you know, he was so laid back. That was him, you know what I mean? He, you know, he, I was like, yeah, yeah, we've got MK Dons or whatever. And he was like, okay, cheers. And off he went. And he's never looked back, you know, he's, you know, but I was trying to build a team, which was, it was, but like I say, you need two or three transfer windows. We were probably too small, but we, you know, recruitment is the most important part in football, one of the most important part. And to have recruitment, you need good people working for you and people who know, who know a player, who know what you look for. You know, and who know the leagues, those you know, the other levels of the leagues. And presumably, Grealish's success with with Villa. Obviously, I was fortunate enough to see him quite early on at, at Villa, and you, you knew he was going to get kicked, and you knew he was going to yeah. get attention. But he's developed his game so much; he's a much cleverer player, and obviously now playing for England and Man City. Could you see that? Was that what? What was the attributes that you kind of saw, or did you see those attributes early on? Yeah, listen, he could dribble. He could dribble the ball. He was like Gaza. How Gaza could dribble, you know, he had the ball and he had this body swerve with the hips. I remember him, he was, you know, a lot of teams would, you know, would try to kick him early on when he received the ball on the halfway line. I used to say to him, look, listen, one, can you get maybe, you know, towards, dribble more, closer to the goal so we can get free kicks where we can, rather than on the halfway line, release it a little bit early. But when you get in the final third, now do it because now we can get set pieces and also just, he was always a giver. You know, I mean, he gets gets as much enjoyment out as in finding a pass. And I just thought at the time, you need to get goals. You got to be start getting double figures. You know, getting shots off. You know what I mean? Because you could see he had this confidence in him, but he just seemed to, you know, he'd be more happier, you know, getting an assist, which is good. But sometimes, you know, you need these goals because if that guy was not a good finisher, you could still be creating, and it's not, you know, what I mean, you're not getting anything from it. So you need to try and get, you know, those components when you've got your ten or twelve assists. You got your ten or twelve goals as well. Now people are going, "Oh wow, you got a creator and a goal scorer." But listen, he was always going to be a good player. He was just one player that, you know, I thought I was, you know, I I believed in youth. I wanted to go down the uh, path of bringing youth players in. Uh, and Callum, you know, and Callum McGregor and Jack Grealish were two. If you was to say to me, "Look, in X amount of years, they'd be playing England, Scotland in the Euros, and they'd be playing against each other. They're playing in now in League One." People are going, "Nah, no chance." But they're going to, have to be two really good influential players uh, for the countries. Yeah. Oh, oh, Jack is great. He's getting along there to being influential for the country. Yeah. Exactly right. Well, talking about internationals and and um, representing your countries, let's bring things right up to date with British Virgin Islands. And you know, my reflection, um, having um, listened to to you, Chris, and and talk about your career and you know working under you know John Lyle and George Graham and Arsene Wenger and you know your philosophy about youth and so, and so on and giving back it's it's interesting the kid from Bradford who's gone via Ipswich and London and Denmark and Malaysia and France now coaching British Virgin Islands but that's that's football I guess if you if you give back as you said these opportunities come and you've got an opportunity to create a legacy I guess 
I think, listen, that's a really good question because I was I was lying about the other day, and, you know, your journey in life, you look back at it and opportunities. I think, it was, funny enough, it was David Platt. He once said, said to me once when I was at Arsenal, you know, everybody gets opportunities, eh? People, some people don't realise it's an opportunity. It's just, you know, you just, you just stumble across it. Other people, you know, will go, no, I'll get another one. You know, I, I'm, I, you know, while the other one go, no, let me grasp it now. And I just think, you know what, you know, when I look back some of the times, I think, you know, opportunities came and I, I wasn't, I wasn't a shrinking van. I wasn't, oh, I'm not quite sure you've got to, no, you've got to embrace, embrace the challenge, eh? It's going to be difficult sometimes, but that's when you find out, you, you, you know, your character builds, you know, you've got experience. So if people say, you know, I just did a course during lockdown, the certificate in football management with UEFA. So it was a business course. The hardest thing I've ever done. Hardest, you know, hardest, you know, hardest thing I had to do. You know, I had to get the assignments in on, you know, the modules in on time. The assignments had to be finished. But it was about strategic planning, you know, sponsorship, marketing. You know what I mean? So oh, there's so many different things to it that I would like. It was out of my comfort zone. But at the end of the day, you know, the biggest, when I passed it and I went over to, you know, Neon in Switzerland to get the certificate and we had four days though. I got so much fulfillment from it. You know, it was the hardest thing, but it was a tip I can go say, no, I got through it. I got through it. Did I enjoy it at the time? No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> did, I, did I enjoy it when I was getting the certificate? Absolutely, yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And that's what it's about. At the end of the day, you cannot go, well, you know, so if people say to me, what was lockdown for you? Did a lot of walking, but you know what? I got through, I got through this course, which was the hardest thing that I'd ever done. You know, you leave home at 16, you don't really pick up a pen again, apart from when you signing a contract, <laughs> you know? So, you know, I really enjoyed that. And, you know, I did my UEFA Pro license with, uh, in 2010 with the English FA, with Gianfranco Zola and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer uh, and, 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 you know, Neil Redfern and other good coaches at the time. It was so, it was so good at the time. And, you know, that's where you look back, you kind of go, yeah, the journey's been, it's been difficult at times, but everyone's been a good experience, you know, in, in some way or the, or the other. But you've got to keep on pushing and, and trying to go forward. What would I like to do more going forward? Maybe I've have another shot at being a manager, you know, of a of a league team, because I think you learn a lot from your first one and you learn you learn a lot from your mistakes. And I think equal opportunities is getting better, because it has been true. You know, it has it has been difficult, you know, for you know black coaches to get the opportunities. Uh, and even I think obviously Karen was at Ipswich for a little while and and. And in the end, he's, he's obviously had to go away for health reasons. But, you know, did he get the opportunities that he deserved? I don't know. I don't know. I, I think I spoke with him and he was a little bit disappointed on one or two things. But, you know, you got to keep going. You know I mean? Sometimes when he, he's not, you know, it's easy to go, oh, you know, that's not working out because of this and that. No, no. Take away all the excuses. Get your qualifications, you know, get your experience and then just, you, you know, try putting yourself in a position to get the opportunity. And some different challenges as, as an international coach you know those those contacts you talked about and it's it's not necessarily recruitment as recruitment it's kind of but it finding the players is probably a, a key thing for you as an international coach yeah the british virgin islands job is it's, it's so challenging but you know look, there's only thirty thousand on the islands you know right. but it, you know you know so i've got to try and find recruit players the players at the moment playing the local league which is the standard is not great you know uh the players in england that play for us are playing in in the lower tiers of the of the football of the football pyramid, you know, and you know, there's hardly any professionals, so it's hard. But you know, we played two games the other day against the Cayman Islands in the Nations League and got back to back draws 
first time it's been done. So there was progress there. But my job is to go into the Americas and to try find players in in the in, in the MLS, which I don't think there is any in the league below it, the uh, the USL, and then in the colleges, and then just to try give them. But once again, international football is different from from club football. I've got them for seven days sometimes. You know, you can't coach a player in seven days, so you've got to try and how much they can take on board. You know, the fitness levels. There's all these different things. So, but it, it's something that I really enjoy. You know, really enjoy doing. You know, can I get any players or grandparents or or parents that have been in the BVI, lived in the BVI for more than five or six years, and I've got family and heritage down there. Uh, but it's something that I enjoy. I was coaching over there the other day, and I was like. Wow, look at this. It's so much beautiful around there. It's beautiful. You've got all these hills. You've got Virgin Garda. And I'm going, eh, Chris, it could be worse. I could be in Bradford. <laughs> Back in my old, <laughs> my old towns in the Arndale Centre, just sat around doing nothing. So, you know, I quite enjoy what I do and I embrace the challenge to try and make players better. I think that's the thing, you know, going back to John again, that's the one thing he says, you know, if I can make you better, if, I'm, if I can make everybody 10% better, you know, can I make... You know, can I go to the BVI and, and give more professionalism? Can I help the coaches? Can I, you know, can I educate the players on on, on diet, on strength and conditioning? You know, strength and conditioning is, is a massive part of the game now. You know, injury prevention. We didn't do half of these programs when I was growing up, and it began to come in a little bit towards you know towards the end of the career. But you know, all these things that they don't have over there. You know, trying to get goals. You know, onto the island is so hard. You can't just physical order. goals. You mean? Yeah, yeah, physical. You know, movable goals. Yeah. You know, because you've got to order them from America or from England. It might take three months to get over there, and you know, so or four months. So there's all these little things that we're trying to put in face. We ordered some mannequins the other day because I love my mannequins. It took four months for them to get there. <laughs> yeah. So you know, you're having a couple of camps. We know, we know mannequins, but. You know, that's just helping with the technical side of the game and things like that. So that's my, you know, to leave some sort of legacy there that they've got better and, and getting back to back draws against the, you know, in the Nations League recently is is a step in the right direction. But now we've got to build on that. Yeah, exciting times. And talking of exciting times, we've talked about the change of ownership here, Um Let's finish on Kieran McKenna. Have you had a chance to see him such under Kieran yet? And what's your thoughts for the upcoming season? Yeah, I, I saw a couple of games last season, but I work on Saturdays, so a lot of the time do, uh, with the Premier League. Uh, but I, everything I've seen is so positive. I think, you know, I've, I've been speaking to players that, uh, and, and ex-players that have been around the club. The players want to play for him. And, you know, that's a good thing. And, you know, I don't see him, you know, you know, getting too excited when we're winning or when we're losing, which, which is great, you know what I mean? And I think, you know, towards the end of the sign, he showed signs, he got a system in there. But I think this season, you know, we should be in the top six, you know, always around there and hopefully put a run together, you know, maybe to try to go up in the, in the automatic places. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. And I always think, you know, you need two or three windows to get where you want to get to. But I think if we, you know, if we give this guy, you know, 18 months, two years, he's going to get us where we want to get to, which is, which is promotion. You know, once we get promotion, in, you know, into the championship, now it's just getting, it's about building foundations and making that run. Because as you can see from Nottingham Forest, obviously, you know, anybody can, you know, once you get the dynamics right, you can make that run and get into the promised land, which is the Premier League. But everything I see at the moment with the young players that he's, he's trying to add to the team and especially how they're trying to play is really positive. 
I'll be down there this, this season with my scarf and hopefully, hopefully seeing a lot of victories. Fingers crossed. Chris, that's great. Phil, anything, anything we've, we've missed? We've covered an enormous amount of ground, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. Plenty yeah. there. Well, Chris, thank you so much for talking us through that. Um, you know, as football fans, it's sometimes very, um, we don't get the opportunities to say thank you. So thank you, obviously, for your time as, you know, player and the coach, the goals, the dancing, the lilac suits, the memories <laughs> for us as Ipswich fans and, and all the very best for, for you in British Virgin Islands for the um, getting up those FIFA rankings. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure 24 7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the promotion running. Everyone is gathered round to watch. The McNuggets share boxes are there, offering much needed distraction. Your mate's already been booked for double dipping, but in you swoop to steal the last nuggets and claim all three points. Oh, and there is the Harry Clark fist pump to celebrate. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in at participating restaurants. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.